Hey everybody, welcome back to the Daily Bible Reading Podcast. Today is day number 40, so glad you're with us today. Number 40 is of an important number in the Bible. It's the number of completion. Uh, That doesn't mean that you're all done with your Bible reading, but it does mean that you should be proud of coming this far. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 30 to chapter 32. Before we get started today, let's pray and ask that God would open up our eyes to see truth in his word. Almighty God, we confess that even as we should be devoted to you day in and day out, having our lives given over to you as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, God, we confess that we are quick to turn aside and to worship other gods. We are so quick to build up our own idols and to create our own gods and assign your name to them. God, we deserve your wrath. We deserve to have you turn aside from us. But God, we thank you that you have relented from disaster and leaned into your mercy and your grace, that you have given us a Savior in whose name we can rest. God, help us to understand the role that you have for us in your kingdom. Help us to understand our role as priests, Now, God, as we open up your word, I pray that you would show us yourself. Help us to see you revealed in these pages, not the idea of you that we come with in our own preconceived notions, but, God, the you that is revealed in these pages outside of us. God, we are so far below you. You are so different from us. Help us to see that difference, and instead of turning away in fear, turn us towards yourself. Help us to lean into your nature, lean into your divine attributes as we worship you and turn from our sin. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, here we go with Genesis chapter 30 to 32. I do hope you've got your Bible out and you can underline and take notes while you're going through. It really does make a difference. But regardless, whether you've got yours out or not, I've got my English Standard Version here. Let's go. Chapter 30. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns, and you shall make a molding of gold around it, and you shall make two golden rings for it. Under its molding, on two opposite sides of it, you shall make them, and each shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, 
he shall burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. He shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is twenty geras. Half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from twenty years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet, so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, five hundred shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is, two hundred and fifty, and two hundred and fifty of aromatic cane, and five hundred of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the table and all its utensils, and the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering, with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them, that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. The Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stakte, and onkia, and galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each there shall be an equal part. And make an incense, blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small, and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting, 
or I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you, and the incense that you shall make according to its composition you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. Chapter 31 The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability, that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel, and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Chapter 32 When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation, and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. 
And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and back they were written. The tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. 
And that day, about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will, forgive their sin. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now, go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people, because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. Over the last two days, we've seen the care God has taken to describe and outline what the tabernacle should look like, uh, who the priests should be, how they should consecrate themselves, and, and what services they should perform on behalf of the people day in and day out in order to make atonement for those people. However, it should be noted that after giving the Ten Commandments and the other laws in the hearing of the people, Moses went up into the cloud of God's presence on the mountain with Joshua, and they were up there for 40 days and 40 nights that started at the end of chapter 24. However, that time is coming to a close. That's a month and a half or so nearly that the people have been without their very visible leader in Moses. And all of this information that we've seen about the tabernacle and the priesthood hasn't yet been shared with the people. God wrote it all down on two stone tablets as he was telling Moses. And we will see that Aaron and her, who were left in charge, are not leading, rather they are being led. In today's reading, we see the design and the purpose of the incense altar that sits in the holy place before the curtain. Uh, the priest would go into the most holy place only once a year, but in the holy place, he would offer daily sacrifices. And on either side of that incense altar are the table of the presence where bread would be offered and the lampstand, which would light the tent. Outside of the tent, there is this bronze laver, a wash basin, where the priests would wash before going into the tent. This ritual washing was not just for good hygiene, but was part of their purification. God also gives the recipe here for the anointing oil and the incense. These would be a fragrant aroma that would likely mask the scent of the blood that was sprinkled all over the tent. But be careful before you pull out your essential oils and try to copy this. There is a divine copyright on these scents, and God is very serious about them. We also meet in chapter 31 the two craftsmen that God has identified to make these designs come to life. Just another quick word about holiness in this context. In our text today, we see that the oil and the incense were used to consecrate so that things would be holy. 
the text says, whatever touches them will become holy. Um, and we also see the altar is another one of these things that uh, if something touches it, it will become holy. And I had a student ask me once, well, if the whole point is for the people to be holy, then why don't they just sprinkle the oil on everyone and they'll all be holier? Why doesn't everybody just line up and touch the altar? Well, this is a big misunderstanding of the concept of holiness. This text does not mean that those things would then be morally perfect like God. Holiness means more than that. It means being devoted to or set apart for God. Holiness is God's character. It is his refining fire. It is his purifying holiness. And so if everyone lined up to touch the altar or to get anointed, they would be giving their life over to God as a sacrifice. The biblical concept of sin is kind of like cancer. It's not a little bit of mud that you get on your hands. It's not that easy to just wash it off. You know, if you think about it, we have a cure for every type of cancer that's out there today. It's called death. Once a person who has a cancerous tumor growing inside of them dies, then the cancerous cells die as well. If a sinful person becomes devoted to God, then God will purify them by taking their life along with their sin. However, the treatment of sin without having God's holiness consume their life is a much more delicate and difficult process, very much like eradicating the cancerous cells without killing the cancer patient. We see what happens when people offer unauthorized sacrifices or even when they touch the Ark of the Covenant in an attempt to keep it from falling to the ground. They died. Not because what they did was so much more terrible than other sins, but because at that moment they came into contact with the purifying holiness of God and just a touch was enough to consume them. So let's work on rewriting our thinking about holiness. It is the consuming fire of God's presence. And the amazing thing is the way that Jesus flipped the script. During his ministry, he made jaws drop as he began to lay hands on the diseased and the dead, those things that would make a normal person ritually unclean. But instead of the death making him unclean, he rather extended the holiness of God like a scalpel and removed the impurity without consuming the person. I've linked to a great video from the Bible Project on holiness. Check it out down in the show notes to help bring this point home. Next, we see that God instituted a census tax on the people that would be received from everyone over the age of 20. Now, this was a flat tax of about a fifth of an ounce of silver. This was a small offering, but it came from everyone equally as a ransom for their lives, the text says. This serves to show that in God's eyes, all lives are equal, young and old, rich and poor, powerful and weak. And in chapter 31, beginning in verse 12, we are reminded of the importance again of the Sabbath. Now today, we go to church on Sunday, and I've heard people say that, well, Sunday is like the Christian Sabbath, and this just isn't true. Others believe that Christians are still expected to keep the Sabbath laws today. Well, recognize first that the Israelites didn't go to worship on the Sabbath. They stayed home and rested. It was a day for no work, not travel, 
just worship at home. The people had set feasts throughout the year that were their worship services. And then we have to wrestle with Jesus' teaching about the Sabbath. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 5, Jesus was being confronted by the Pharisees for he and his disciples picking heads of grain on the Sabbath as they walked through a field. And Jesus said, Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Jesus here is referring to the fact that God had commanded to the priests that they should perform their service seven days a week. And in nearly the same passage, he tells the people that they are supposed to take a solemn rest on the seventh day of the week. This is connecting Jesus to his role as high priest and his disciples as a priesthood of believers. This means that Christians don't have just one holy day a week. Rather, our lives have been consecrated to God's service. Our bodies are offered as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. All of the commands meant for Israel to understand the character of God have been fulfilled in Jesus. We enter into the holy place through the sacrifice of Jesus, and in doing so, we become a sanctuary for his Holy Spirit. We are purified and set apart for God's service. Our life is no longer our own. We have been bought with a price. Finally, in chapter 32, we see a disturbing display of the ease with which people move from confessing their faithfulness to being disobedient. In Exodus 24, 7, the people said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. But here, in chapter 32, we see them pressuring Aaron to craft gods for them to follow. Aaron should have sent them to their room with no dinner, but instead he goes along with it and crafts this sacred cow. Now, this is probably something very similar to the Egyptian apis bull. Uh, That would have made sense because they had just come up out of Egypt where they would have been worshiping it. But we will see it show up in the story again during the period of the division of the kingdom after Solomon. So keep it in your mind. Now, Aaron is quick to call this idol the Lord, and he devotes a sacred feast to the Lord, or Yahweh, possibly as a way of justifying it in his own mind, though it is a clear violation of the number two commandment to make no graven images unto God. And today, we do this same thing when we say things like, I feel like God wants me to be happy, or God wants me to go after my dreams. Well, that's a God that we have created for our own purposes and for our own benefits. It's a false God, nothing like the God of the Bible, who exists and calls his people to exist for his glory and not their own. My point is, it's easy to look at the Israelites here and to shake our head at how impatient and how fickle they are. But I think this is here to remind us that we are, each of us, just this prone to wander from God, to think, well, I don't hear God's voice anymore, so I guess the coast is clear for me to do whatever I want now. God must want what I want. But let me warn you that any God who loves all the things that you love and hates all the things that you hate 
and encourages you in everything that you do and never calls you out for your sin is no God at all. That's an idol that you see every time you look in the mirror. After God sees what they are doing in the camp below, including what looks like feasting and drunkenness and even sexual perversion in verse 6, God tells Moses to give him some space because he is about to bring the heat like he did in Sodom and Gomorrah. But Moses reminds God of his promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and he tells him to just think of what the Egyptians will say when they find out that this nation who was brought up in such a powerful way from them was then snuffed out in the wilderness. And in verse 14, we see that the text says there that God relented. This is one of a half a dozen or so passages in the Bible where it seems as though God changes his mind. Now, you might be thinking, how does that work? This is one of the great paradoxes of the Bible. We can't simply deny God's omniscience, his all-knowing nature, in order to make this work out logically for us. Nor can we deny that the prayers and actions of people really do change things. Those are the most common solutions that you'll find out there to this paradox. But when we come to these paradoxes in Scripture, I'm going to encourage you to hold them both as true and in tension with one another. That's what a paradox is. Now, that might hurt your brain, but remember that God is not like you. God is fully omniscient, and our prayers do matter. These two truths are certain, even if they seem mysterious. Was this statement a bluff on God's part to test Moses' understanding of God's covenant faithfulness, kind of like he did with Abraham and the attempted sacrifice of Isaac? Maybe. But the word is clear that both of these seemingly irreconcilable positions are true, and it's our job to humble ourselves under the reality that maybe, just maybe, we aren't meant to fully grasp everything. So when Moses and Joshua do come down the mountain here and they see the scene before them, Moses gets so angry that he throws down those brand new tablets of the testimony that he had just spent the last 40 days getting from the hand of God. This was justifiable anger. So was the burning and grinding up of the idol and forcing the people to drink it, kind of like washing their mouth out with soap. And in an even more shocking twist, Moses calls together those who are still faithful to Yahweh, including Aaron, who produced the idol, along with the sons of Levi, and commands them to go through the camp and remove the idol worshipers from their midst. This was one of those commands from Exodus 22.20 that says, Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. The execution of 3,000 idolaters among them was seen as their ordination into the service of the Lord. Finally, however, we see a beautiful exchange that comes in the wake of this bloodbath of idolatry. Moses goes back up the mountain to make atonement for the people, but notice that he doesn't bring an offering with him. Rather, he himself becomes the offering. He stands in the gap for this idolatrous people. 
And that definitely reminds me of Jesus's sacrifice when he stood in our place. God doesn't take Moses up on this offer because he's already planning to send another, his angel, his son, to be the atoning sacrifices for the sins of all who would follow him. He commands Moses to go up from Mount Sinai, and he promises to send his angel before them to the land that he had told them about. That's the angel of the Lord, Jesus, here in the text. And he promises that there will be a day when he will visit God will dwell among his people, and in that day, all sin will be dealt with for these idolaters and for us. Those that do not follow this Jesus that God is sending before them will die in their own sin, but those that do will see a far greater atonement than any animal or man could make. As the old song says, his blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. Thank you for joining me today. I hope this has been encouraging to you. If so, please let me know by visiting the links that you find under the Connect With Us section in the show notes. I'm a simple man and I could use the encouragement. If you've been blessed enough that you would like to support the podcast, I would greatly appreciate that as well. You can go to buymeacoffee.com slash dbrpodcast to make either a one-time gift or to sign up for a monthly recurring membership gift. Until tomorrow, keep reading and keep worshiping.